70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of Global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hola, me llamo Santiago Incapié. Soy colombiano y llevo viviendo en Corea seis años. Hello, my name is Santiago Hincapié from Colombia. I've been living in Korea for six years. My friend introduced me to KBS World Radio three years ago, and I've been tuning into its Spanish service ever since. KBS World Radio is my favorite source of news and information about Korea. It provides various content in entertainment packages with balanced point of views, helping listeners understand various social issues and Korean culture from the Korean perspective. I want to listen to more programs on Korea's culture and tradition, for example, things like how the lunar calendar works. KBS World Radio brings Korea's voice to the world. Happy 70th birthday. I wish the channel more success and hope you stay a friend and family for all international residents in Korea. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it is Thursday, the seventh of December, and welcome to Korea Twenty Four. I'm your host, Kwon jang The state order agency has concluded that the previous Moon Jae-in administration attempted to cover up and falsify information related to the 2020 shooting of a fisheries official by North Korea. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. For our in-depth today, we discuss the latest cabinet reshuffle and what it means for the ruling PPP ahead of the general elections. We'll also look at the discord within the main opposition DP. And coming up for Explore Korea, we'll be discovering artist Yimin Ha and her works examining the history of human violence. Let's begin Korea 24. The state order agency wrapped up its year-long investigation of top officials who handled the death of a fisheries official who was shot by North Korean soldiers in 2020. The findings incriminated a range of high-ranking administrators and government officers under the previous Moon Jae-in administration for covering up the death and falsifying related information, including assertions that the killing came during an attempted defection. Our KBS World Radio news editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio for more on this story and our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Jagong. Now, the BAI's interim recommendation in October led to trial proceedings for the former chiefs of the Defence Ministry and the Intelligence Agency, as well as other key officials during the uh, Moon administration. What can you tell us of the BAI's conclusive announcement? 
Well, the state audit agency has called for the disciplinary action against 13 public officials for their roles in the aftermath of the death of a fisheries official who was killed, as you said, by North Korean soldiers in 2020. The Board of Audit and Inspection has concluded an investigation into the events uh, while uh, and uh, after the discovery of his remains, the uh, Defence Ministry and the Coast Guard under the Moon administration announced that he had had been killed while attempting to defect to the North over financial and personal issues. Following the announcement, speculation of a top-level cover-up arose involving the Defence Ministry, Coast Guard and the National Security Office that they had ordered the deletion and omission of factual intelligence regarding E and fabricated reports supporting the government's claim. Right, and about a month after the launch of Yun sung presidency, the Coast Guard retracted its claim about E, while the BAI immediately announced that it would investigate the handling of the case by relevant agencies. Right, and former Defence Ministry Seoul is currently on trial for tampering and manipulating documents involved in the case following uh, the interim uh, recommendation. Uh, follow uh, the former National Security Advisor Seo Hoon and former National Intelligence Service Chief Park ji who are also standing trial on same charges, have not been included in the BAI's uh, latest list. Concluding its probe on Thursday, the state auditor recommended a disciplinary action and warnings be issued for 13 officials at the time, including uh, former Defence Minister Seok and former Coast Guard Commissioner uh, General Kim Hong-hee. Right. Uh, As you mentioned, many officials are on trial related to these allegations. So we'll see if these conclusions by the BAI colour those uh, legal proceedings Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Let's continue on to our other headlines of the day. The Korean Medical Association staged an all-night protest on Wednesday in front of the presidential office in Yongsan. The move was in response to the lack of headway in talks with the government regarding the latter's plans to increase the medical school admissions quota despite unyielding opposition by the, uh, by the association. Uh, what can you tell us? Well, the uh, KMA Special Committee on Pan-Medical Countermeasures to Prevent the Collapse of Medical Services began the protest at 10pm Wednesday night in two locations. One in front of the War Memorial, uh, which is across the building from the presidential office, and the other in a tent at the Yongsa Medical Society building. According to the association's president, Ipirsu, the government must honour the September 4th legislative agreement that that includes an understanding that unilateral policies, uh, uh, policy decisions like a quota increase should not be pursued. Also present at the protest was the former president of KMA, Chedejib, who shaved his head in protest, stressing the group's firm opposition to the policy and expressing concerns about the impact of an increased quota. The medical group will conduct a survey of all members from December 11th to the 17th regarding a possible general strike and organize a doctor's rally downtown on December 17th. In other news, the scores for the College Scholastic Ability Test, which was held last month, was announced. 
and it yielded just one person with a perfect score in all subjects. Mm-hmm. So can you break it down a bit more for us? Well, the Education Ministry and State Test Administrator held a briefing on the results on Thursday, assessing the test to be more difficult than last year's, despite the exclusion of the so-called killer questions on materials not included in the standard public school curriculum. The highest standard scores in the Korean language and math sections both increased compared to last year. The standard score is calculated by comparing the average for the subject against the highest, with a lower average increasing the top student standard score. Now, if the test score is close to 150 points, the test is evaluated as difficult. In the Korean language section, the highest standard score was 150, 16 points higher than last year's CSAT, while the highest standard score in the math section was three points higher at 148. Moving on, the Minister of Trade, Industry and Energy, Pang Monggyu, pledged to pursue partial government support for the cost of importing urea from countries other than China. This is the compound used in many diesel vehicles to neutralise dangerous nitrogen oxides. Can you tell us more? Well, a meeting of at a meeting at a uh, reporters on Wednesday, uh, Pang addressed the recent suspension of urea uh, exports by Beijing in noting that the annual value of urea used in South Korea amounts to less than three hundred US uh, three hundred million US dollars, of which those for vehicles take up a small portion. The minister said the government will push to cover some of the import costs for companies that opt to purchase urea from co- uh, countries like. Vietnam, which would cost around 10% more than uh, Chinese imports for an extra uh, $226 billion won, or about $20 million uh, annually. Pang, meanwhile, expected uh, local firms' reliance on Chinese imports of graphite, a key material in secondary batteries, to significantly drop within several years following Beijing's related export curbs this month. That's where we're going to leave it for our news briefing today. Heaton, thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. Ahead of next year's general elections in April... President Yoon Sung-yeol announced a major cabinet reshuffle on Monday, naming six nominees to replace the ministers of Finance, Land, Agriculture, Veterans Affairs, Oceans and SMEs. The shake-up is part of a wider reshuffle, as a number of ministers are reportedly planning to run for parliament. And it also comes as Yoon seeks to revamp his administration in his upcoming third year in office. While the ruling bloc is undergoing these personnel changes, the main opposition Democratic Party is experiencing a schism with some lawmakers considering its current head, Yi Jae-myung, a liability leading up to the general elections next year as he faces numerous criminal investigations. To take a deep dive into the various factors that might affect the elections and what to watch out for in the lead-up to voting day, we're joined on the line by two political commentators. First, we have law professor Cho Hee-kyung from Hong University. Professor Cho, Hello. Hello. And we also have affiliate professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies as well. Professor Kim, hello to you too. Hello. Okay, let us start with the cabinet reshuffle. Professor Cho, 
Let me start with you. All six outgoing ministers are expected to run for parliamentary seats in next year's general elections. That includes Land Minister Won Hee-ryong and the Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho. So can you walk us through some of these changes and how it could affect the ruling camp ahead of the important elections? Uh, as you mentioned, there are six uh, ministries whose heads will essentially be uh, changed or replaced as a result of the current serving ministers uh, essentially getting ready to run in the next year's general election. And these are not insignificant ministries. I mean, you can't say that there is an insignificant ministry, but for example, Ministry of uh, Land, uh, Infrastructure and Transport, and also Ministry of Finance, uh, who also serve uh, as the Deputy Prime Minister. These are really very uh, heavyweight posts within the cabinet. And to replace uh, these two posts, among others, at this particular time uh, is obviously a significant move. And one uh, ministry that hasn't been uh, included in this round of reshuffle, but everyone expects uh, there to be a new uh, minister, is also the Ministry of uh, Industry, Trade and Resources. So Mr. Pang Mungyu, or Minister Pang, Pang Mungyu, so, as you mentioned, um, the six uh, ministries, um, Ministry of Land, Ministry of uh, Finance, uh, Agriculture, Fisheries, uh, Veterans Affairs, and Small and Medium-Sized uh, Enterprises, uh, the serving ministers will be uh, replaced with uh, six, obviously, nominees. Mm. and. Uh, interesting uh, characteristics of the new nominations, um, something that we haven't really seen in previous cabinet appointments uh, or nominations by President Yoon, which is that he's actually uh, nominating for the first time people he hadn't gone to school with or university with or hadn't worked with before. So uh, people who are essentially strangers uh, to him. So that's a new feature. Uh, Second is that half of these new uh, nominees are women. Uh, And so one can see that they really try to uh, include some gender diversity in this round of reshuffle. And another feature is that uh, many of the new nominees are actually very well qualified for the post to which they are nominated. So, uh, for example, the... Uh, new, newly nominated uh, candidate for Ag- Agriculture Ministry, Song Miryong, used to be the former vice president for Korea Rural uh, Economic Institute. Um, also for the Oceans and Fisheries, the new nominee used to be the president of Korean Institute of Ocean Science and Technology. Um, the newly nominated finance uh, ministerial candidate used to serve in Park Geun-hye's administration as vice finance minister, and he also headed the economy division in Yoon, uh, President Yoon's presidential transition uh, committee and also the replacement for uh, land minister Won Heryong, uh, is the former CEO of 
KLH or Korea Land and Housing Corporation. So uh, unlike previous ministerial mm. nominations, uh, these uh, cohort, uh, I would say, are uh, much better qualified for the job, which I think is actually very necessary because some of the outgoing ministers have only been in their posts for a very short time and they really can't escape the criticism that this particular reshuffle comes because not because of uh, natural necessity uh, or uh, because um, that's what is required, but because of uh, the demands and the requirements of the uh, of having to field certain candidates for the next year's general election. And so I think if they had underqualified candidates, then they would have really come under much greater criticism. Hmm. Uh, I'll like to get your thoughts on where this leaves the ruling camp for the elections as well. But let me first turn to you, Professor Kim, as well. What is your assessment of the reshuffle? I guess the uh, the fact that Won Yiryong, the land minister, and Chu kyung the finance minister, are going back to the National Assembly uh, doesn't mean really much for the PPP, People Power Party. I mean, the, these are important uh former lawmakers, and they're going back. And they're not really adding the seats to the PPP. Uh, the, the PPP just wants to keep their seats. So I don't think this is major, uh, and I don't I don't see much uh, in terms of the reshuffling, cabinet reshuffling itself meaning that much for the election as a whole. And uh, I, I have my own thoughts about the, the party itself, the, you know, the innovation uh, committee uh, led by, uh, Inyoan and Reform Committee led by Inyoan and uh, its fight against Chang Jae-won and Kim Gi-han, the party leader, and the recent controversy over uh, Dr. Inyoan's bid for uh, cha- chairmanship of the nomination committee and so on. So mm. the party inside has a lot of troubles and uh, a lot of problems. And I don't. And then on, in comparison to that, I think the the cabinet reshuffling side, I see this uh, relatively speaking, limited impact on the election. Okay, so then, Professor Kim, let's expand on that. Uh, what more did you want to talk about with uh, the uh, with Inyohan, the chief of the PPP's Innovation Committee, and uh, what's been going on with uh, on that front? Obviously, Dr. Inyohan's committee is not not going anywhere. Uh, everybody knows that, and it had high hopes at the beginning. And there was a, a lot of uh, high level of public attention to what he could and his uh, committee could what achieve together. But it has been great disappointment, uh, and all because of the resistance from the power holders, the current uh, major stakeholders of the party, like the party leader Kim Gi-hyun, and the major you know central players like Chang, Chang Jae-won, who were, had been known as closest associates of the president. Uh, even though there was a rumor that In Yuan himself actually got uh, President Yoon's backing, but it didn't show much, and probably, possibly, President himself had difficulty in making that point clear. His push to, 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 uh, to his, what do you call it? His push to in demanding the party to change itself uh, had its limits because there's a pushback from the the party players. And what I see here is this is really bad for PPP in terms of their possibility of uh, winning big in the upcoming April election. If anything, that you know, what we know here in Korean politics is that uh, you have to try really hard or you're, you really have to be on the defensive. 
in order to mm. win votes from the people. Uh, people support those, uh, you know, the, the parties that's on defensive. And then, you know, like Korean voters are very well known for achieving sense of balance. And right now, what we see here, PPP reaction to uh, Dr. Inyuan's committee's uh, reform efforts is the, 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 their desire to maintain status quo. And that's going to be received by the people, the voters, very badly. And then people will say, well, we see no sign of PPP really wanting to change itself. And if PPP is not changing, there's no reason for us to give PPP the majority seats uh, in the National Assembly. So in terms of what's been happening recently with the reform or innovation committee, uh, the results of it, its failure means probably very serious damage to the prospect of PPP doing well in the April election. Professor Cho, where do you think uh, the PPP stands at the moment ahead of the elections? I, I'm not entirely sure if uh, people really had a lot of expectations for the Innovation Committee. The Conservative Party always uh, has uh, a very good strategy when it comes to making uh, surprise appointments and uh, getting uh, sort of you know, fresh faces uh, in front of the people uh, and essentially sort of inspiring or instilling uh, some hope that maybe this time they will change. And I think In Yohan was also one of those characters, you know, the fact that uh, 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 I, I think he was born in, in Korea, but uh, just by being born here in Korea doesn't give you citizenship. Uh, and so he's a naturalized Korean. And for someone who looks, looks like him to head the Innovations Committee itself was an innovation. But, you know, uh, um, after, when you sort of look at what, what the Innovation Committee has been doing, it was really uh, a lot of talk but very little action. And mm. it ended up with a, and ended with a whimper and not a bang. And all these sort of big promises that Inyohan himself made, uh, they really came to naught. And in reality, I think it was really kind of a fig leaf, uh, just a device to provide breathing space for Kim Gi-hyun, who was really in a dire straits after the the, the by-election where Conservative Party lost miserably. Uh, and so, it, you know, it served its useful purpose, uh, and it was never really... Um, I, I don't think there was there was never any really real expectation mm. that it's going to make any um, changes. I just wanted to add one comment about the cap cabinet uh, reshuffle. We uh, Henry Kissinger, the statesman, passed away just a, over a week ago. He served as a Secretary of State and also later as National Security Advisor uh, in both Nixon and Ford administration between 1969 and, 1969 and 77. So eight years. Uh, our presidential term is only five years, but if we actually had a minister who could serve the full five-year term, we might actually have a ministry that runs properly. You know, it takes at least six years to learn, uh, sorry, not six years, but six months to 12 months to learn a job as complicated as being a minister right. of, uh, of a big ministry. And for us to reshuffle a cabinet so, uh, so quickly, uh, you know, at, at most, ministers serve maybe two years maximum. Right. Um, that, that's really not good for the health of the, the national uh, political administration. 
We have to swiftly move on to the opposite side as well. Professor Kim, ahead of the elections, there are disagreements in the main opposition camp as well. Uh, some lawmakers in the DP are not aligned with their party chair, Lee Jae-myung, and they're voicing opposition to his leadership and are perhaps seeking to bring changes. Uh, can you tell our listeners briefly about some of the issues facing the opposition camp and your thoughts on them? Uh, I think we noticed three different uh, but related uh, recent movements or developments. Number one was November 16th uh, declaration announcement of uh, four of the lawmakers within DP Democratic Party who have been known uh, the non-Lee faction. Some people call them anti-Lee faction, but I don't think they're entirely anti-Lee, but they, they, they're not pro-Lee. And uh, these folks, four lawmakers, Kim Jong-min, Yoon Young-chan, uh, Wonuk and Jong Chun, uh, they declared creation of this group of four for now and want to expand this group that's called Principle and Common Sense. And uh, this group basically is criticizing the way the party has been run under Lee's leadership, and they have uh, voiced their view that the, the, the party has become a party of one person, kind of top-down, uh, not entirely dictatorship, but, but one-person-centered party under Lee Zemyung, and the party is being used to defend his case against the criminal charges. And they're saying that overall, the, the Democratic Party has to change, go beyond the current system where the extreme members, extreme supporters of Lee Zemyung are running the party, and they wanted to raise uh, appeal to the centrist voters. And so uh, it's a very interesting movement, creation of internal uh, inside the party, um, the, the initially a member, four members of the lawmakers. And then they're, they're not saying they're leaving the party. They're saying the party needs to change its direction and they're advocating this such kind of changes. And it, it's interesting that they're, one of them was making the point that there are potentially 40 to 50 lawmakers who are uh, uh, you know, sympathetic uh, with their cause and and it's it's uh, his or her allegation, but 40, 50 members, uh, that's out of uh, 168 current uh, DP lawmakers. So that's about, what, uh, one-third close to? And I don't know how to what extent it's true, but uh, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Creation of this group on November 16th is the first one. Second one is the, uh, you know, the announcement of Lee Sang-min, the fifth time fifth-term lawmaker, Lee Sang-min, declaring that he's leaving DP. He he said he has uh, gotten tired of the way parties run. He's extremely critical of the way Lee Jae-myung is running the party, and he makes the same point about party being used in order to defend Lee Jae-myung against criminal charges. And so uh, he's the first one who has left the party, major, major weight, uh, you know, heavyweight, fifth-term lawmaker, and he's talking about uh, possibility of joining PPP, going to the, the opposite direction, cross the border, or running for his election without party affiliation, or uh, thirdly, uh, joining a new party that may be created in alliance with um, you know, other politicians. Mm. So that uh, declaration of departure from the party, exit from the party, was made December 3rd. Last one, uh, December 6th. Uh, you know, former party leader and prime minister, Lee Nagyan, has raised the possibility that he may be leaving the party. He said 
the party is pushing me out, and, and, and if this continues, I'll have to leave the party. And, and he raised the possibility of uh, uh, forming uh, a, a third party if he leaves the party indeed. And he, uh, and he accepted the possibility of working with uh, Lee Jun-seok, even the, the, the guy who the outsider from PPP, the former party leader of PPP, and creating a, uh, the whole new party. I don't think he has really committed himself to mm. that uh, creation of the third party uh, case. But, but he's, him raising the possibility of leaving the party itself could be very, if it gets materialized, it could be very detrimental to DP. So November 16th, creation of the inside party group, he means actual departure from the party, and then former party leader and prime minister, Yin uh, you know, raising right. the possibility of his departure. These three are major, major uh, developments for the, that kind of shakes off basically as instabilizing, making destabilizing right. the DP at this point. Thank you for walking us through those developments. Professor Chaw, what's your quick assessment of the growing discord within the opposition camp? You have to look at the motivation as to why these uh, developments are happening. I think some of it is partly due to personal ambitions uh, by the, the specific individuals mentioned, but uh, there's also certain uh, certainly public spiritedness and concern by uh, the party members who are genuinely concerned with the welfare of the, the Democratic Party and its current status, because it certainly has become almost like a personal fiefdom of the current party leader, Lee Jae-myung, who seems to really uh, put expediency over principles. And he has gone back on his words so many times. And, you know, party members know that they won't be able to uh, convince the voters to trust them once again. Uh, you know, I mean, three times is, is enough. It, and if the opposition party, the Democratic Party, was actually doing its real job uh, properly as a political party, the p- first thing that they should have done is to create a sh- shadow cabinet and really propose real policies. Um, Especially when they hold, uh, you know, a great majority in the in the National Assembly. But what have they been doing since the uh, the, the presidential election? Pretty much nothing when it comes to policies and uh, actually carrying out uh, their job as lawmakers. Uh, or even if they when when they do, the the president is vetoing them, uh, and and so they might sort of defend themselves in that way. But they are certainly not. Uh, really doing their job uh, as uh, lawmakers currently. They're essentially uh, acting as defenders of their party leader, uh, making up this excuse that, well, there's nobody to replace them. That's rubbish. Uh, They really need to um, look to the people and not just to the party. Okay, so that's the latest situation with the two main parties. The elections are a little over four months away and there are a lot of parts that are starting to really move now. Let me get both your quick assessment on what the parties perhaps need to do to win the elections next year. Uh, Let me start with you, Professor Kim. Oh, definitely, uh, you know, the time is over. I mean, early stage of campaign or preparing, getting close to the election, which now I think is over. And I I think we're getting to the kind of middle point or later point of uh, preparing for election early stage you have to work on your hardcore members uh, you know appeasing your you know making your extreme uh, supporters uh, you know satisfied so you have to focus on either end of the political spectrum but it's time for any kind of party to move on 
to focus on the center voters. And uh, I think both parties are failing to do so because of their political interest and all the things, vested interests that they have in their hands at this point. So, uh, you know, it makes the picture overall even more interesting, making it very difficult for us to to make any predictions what's going to happen uh, going forward. Professor Chu, same question to you. One big uh, factor that's going to have an impact on the upcoming general election is what sort of election rules are going to apply. Uh, Are they really going to go back to the parallel system, uh, back to the 2016 uh, uh, system, or are they actually going to implement the the full linked system? Because that's really going to have a huge effect on how many seats each of, uh, of the two big parties will win in the National Assembly and also fate of the smaller parties. So that's really going to uh, be a, a, a huge factor and that also uh, influences uh, the, the the discord within the Democratic Party as well and the carrot that the Conservative Party is dangling before the Democratic Party. Okay, so things are really ratcheting up now for the elections. I'm sure there will be lots happening between now and April. So, professors, we will continue to lean on your explanations and analysis to get through it all for today. We'll leave it there. We've been speaking to Professors Chui Young and Professor Kim Byung-ju. Thank you both for your time today. Thanks very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index lost 3.31 points, or 0.13% on Thursday, to close the day at 2,492.07. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also inched down, dipping 6.34 points, or 0.77%, to close at 813.20. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 12.21 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,325.31. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's Courier Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online today. And for that, we have joining us in the studio now, news editor Daniel Chen. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, it's good to see you too, jang Let's get straight into the first story. What do you have for us? The Bank of Korea convened a meeting on Tuesday to address an increasing number of counterfeit bills that have been popping up around the country recently. Okay, counterfeit bills. That sounds concerning. Although it is, I guess, surprising that such cases have been on the rise recently as uh, we are inching closer and closer towards a cashless society. A lot of people, especially younger people, uh, don't carry cash uh, in their wallets anymore. Uh, How well made are these counterfeits? Can you tell us a bit more about them? Well, that's the thing. They are not that intricately made. They have words clearly visible on the notes that read movie prop in Korean or specimen. Uh, (laughs) Those who manufacture and use these notes usually target traditional markets or street vendors that are often run by seniors who will still stick to cash transactions and have rather poor eyesight. Mm. Uh, But such activities are not limited to just these venues. Authorities receive reports of counterfeit foreign currency as well as fake gift certificates being produced and in much more improved quality. Mm, Okay, so what has the government been doing to respond uh, to this situation? Aside from the BOK members, Tuesday's meeting was attended by officials from the National Intelligence Service, Police, Korea Customs Service, National Forensic Service, as well as Korea Minting and Security Printing Corporation. They shared updates on investigations into these counterfeits, as well as the changing trends and evolving techniques among those involved in such crimes. 
Authorities will plan measures to carry out a crackdown to eradicate such crimes at the source. They're also devising ways to better inform and educate vulnerable groups on counterfeit cash. Campaigns and ads to ensure the public are aware of such crimes will also continue to roll out. Okay, so for those who are still using cash on a regular basis, do be careful out there and check when you can, especially on high-value bills. Let's uh, move on to our second story. What do you have for us? In the world of baseball, Major Leaguer Kim Ah-sung, who plays for the San Diego Padres, has filed a complaint against a South Korean baseball player for alleged blackmail. Wow, alleged blackmail. That sounds quite shocking for such a high-profile player to be involved with as well. This news about Kim, who uh, last month became the first Korean player to win the uh, Major League Baseball Gold Glove, has been trending in the country for this story. So he is the victim of blackmail. What do you know about the allegations so far? According to police officials on Thursday, the 28-year-old Kim lodged a case with the Gangnam Police Station last month to take action against a retarded baseball player who will be named A. The two were teammates while Kim was playing for the Kium Heroes in the Korean Pro Baseball League, the KBO. A is Kim's junior, but the two reportedly got into a bit of a fight while drinking at a bar at Seoul. Around two years ago, Kim provided a substantial amount of settlement money, but still, A kept demanding more. Mm, I understand the scuffle happened right before Kim made his MLB debut. Yes, that's why, according to Kim's agency, MHN Sports, they rushed to settle the matter with A as Kim was in an important transition phase of moving to the major league. The agency official said that even though it was a minor physical altercation that wasn't initiated by Kim and that A didn't sustain any major injuries, they wanted to make sure the incident didn't impact Kim's move by being blown out of proportion. However, even after receiving more than 100 million won in settlement money, he kept asking for more. Most recently, after Kim won the gold glove in November, A even threatened to release what he claims to be secrets that could hurt Kim's career. If he wasn't sent the money, uh, the extra money that he demanded, mm. officials said Kim underwent questioning as a, compl- uh, as a complainant and the investigation will proceed according to due procedures. Yes, it's unfortunate that we're talking about a situation like this rather than the great season he had in the majors. Hopefully it will get resolved soon. Let's continue on to our last story. What else has been trending? Well, the U.S. Daily, the New York Times announced their style's 71 most stylish people of the 2023 list on Wednesday local time. Two entries from South Korea made the cut. They are President Yoon sung yeol and K-pop girl group New Jeans. To tell you more about the list, the entries, people or objects in some cases made people talk about them and question what we wear, how we live and how we express ourselves. Okay, so one of the entries may be seen as a no-brainer, but the other uh, might be a bit more surprising. What are the uh, defining traits or moments that landed them on this list? Well, one commonality we have is they both sang. Uh, one On <laughs> President Yoon, the magazine said his pitch-perfect performance of American Pie at the White House was worthy of the singing competition show American Idol. They posted a picture of the South Korean leader singing that song during a state dinner at the White House mm. on April 26th. As for New Jeans, it said the group climbed to the top of Billboard charts and earned various distinctions, including becoming the first female K-pop act to perform at Lollapalooza, with their sound seemingly inspired by the late 90s and early 2000s R&B. Right, so with President Yun, it's perhaps not his overall style that landed him on this list, but it was that moment at the White House, his rendition of American Pie. It did go viral at the time, of course, and caused quite a stir. So I guess uh, that is understandable. Uh, The South Korean president and the girl group join a a list of huge stars from around the world, right? 
Yes, uh, the entries come from politics, film, TV, music, sports, and fashion. They include the usual suspects like Beyonce, Taylor Swift, and, of course, the Beckhams. But also (laughs) some unusual ones like an AI-generated picture of Pope Francis wearing a puffy padded coat that flooded social media feeds earlier this year. Also, Mark Zuckerberg, who bulked up for a cage match with his rival Elon Musk. Uh, Lauren Wasser, the model with golden prosthetic legs. And the cockroach at the Met Gala. And even the Sphere, a new visually spectacular arena in Las Vegas. They all made the cut. Right, so... As you can see, it's not a serious list as such, but something fun uh, for the end of the year. But it's uh, great to see Korea included in some way on this sort of list as well. Korean soft power at work, I would say. Okay, that's where we're going to wrap it up for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for all those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Time now for Explore Korea, our weekly segment where we discover some of the cultural, historical and travel highlights that the nation has to offer. And we do that with our explorers. And this week we have with us Andeu, our arts explorer, with another fascinating artist and exhibition to check out. Joe, hello. It's uh, great to see you. Thank you so much, Sean. It's great to see you too. Okay, so what are we talking about this week? Okay, so last week we talked about the 2020 Surim Art Award winner, Omyo Cho, and her currently running solo exhibition at Surim Cube, one of the two art spaces of the Surim Cultural Foundation, right? However, what I didn't mention last week was that Surim Cube is currently hosting not one, but two solo shows. They both opened on November 21st, and after appreciating both shows on that day, I immediately realized that I should talk about Omyo Cho first and save the other artist for December. <laughs> okay. Now, I'll explain why a bit later, but for now, let me just say that it's an absolute pleasure of mine to introduce to our listeners today's artist, hashtag Ha. Okay, I see. So anyone who goes to see uh, Surim Cube at the moment will get the opportunity to see two shows. That's you're right. Saying then. That's great. So anyone listening uh, will be clued up on both artists as well. So I guess that's all the more reason to go for our listeners. Let's talk about today's artist then, Yimi Ha. Yimin okay. Ha, sorry. Sure. So Yimin Ha was born in 1979, sm- hashtag smashing pumpkins, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, she was born and raised here in Seoul, and she currently lives and works in Incheon. Now, she has an interesting academic background. She received her bachelor's degree and first master's degree from the Department of Oriental Painting at Seoul National University, whose College of Fine Art is one of the top three art colleges in Korea. Then she went to the highest ranking art school in Japan for her second master's degree and PhD, the Tokyo University of the Arts. Now, the reason why this is interesting is because in Tokyo, she became a student of intermedia art and explored an array of media other than oriental painting. This explains how she became the artist the world understands and praises today. I'll talk about that in more detail when we discuss her craft. Uh, But last but not least, she's so far exhibited her works through a healthy number of solo shows and group shows, both domestically and internationally. She's also the winner of the highly prestigious Surim Art Award in 2019. 
Okay, so last week's artist that we talked about, Omio Cho, she was the 2020 winner. Uh, yes. Okay, okay. But this week's artist, uh, she is the 2019 winner. Yes. When you say she was a student of intermediate art, what do you mean by that? What is intermediate art? Okay, so basically, what I'm trying to say here is that Imina now is not just a painter, painter, but a true Jill of all trades, if you will. Right. Right. Okay. She's a painter, sculptor, installation artist, video artist, and performance artist. And while the old words of wisdom go, "Dig one well deep," in other words, focus your efforts in one specific field and become a master of it. Instead of distributing your efforts in many fields and not being able to master any of them, why does that hurt so much when I say that? <laughs> but well, when you come across someone not like myself, but Imin Ha, you cannot help but realize that some people's genius has multiple shovels, therefore can dig multiple wells deep. You see, if you see her work, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. And then, in terms of subject matter, while she explores a number of different topics. They all seem to be in a common domain: the history of human violence. For instance, her arguably most well-known series is her leather drawings and installations, which discuss this rather serious subject in a highly vivid fashion. Uh, one monumental work of hers in this series is the one named "The Pilgrimage," which is based on her 2011 visit to a few Middle Eastern countries. Uh, she interviewed people who have first-hand experience of war, genocide, or other atrocities. On a large piece of lamb hide, she used a soldering iron to draw a map of this history of violence, including pictures and texts which illustrate the details. Mm. Now, she said, while the details of the conversations we have on violence may blow away, just like the smoke from the leather which meets the soldering iron. The core of the conversation and pain of the experience are engraved on our long-term memory, just like the burns the soldering iron permanently leaves.、Hmm. And as the Middle East is apparently not the only region of the world which has a history of violence, in 2018 she created the Scorched World, a world map made of cowhide this time, which has 68 locations marked with a branding iron. The locations are all places which genocide took place, and this is why I find her transition or expansion from Oriental painter to a Jill of all trades rather interesting, because what I'm assuming here is that so you're going through college and then you finish your first master's degree,、mm. you're in your mid twenties or your late twenties, you have more life experience, you're observing the life, the world more, and you understand. That it's not just roses and daisies, right? That there are other really, really tough、uh, facets of our planet, especially、sure. regarding the history of humanity. And if you're contemplating all that as a visual artist, it's very likely that you might ask that question: Will my craft that I have now of Oriental painting be enough, or be more accurate for me? To discuss and express these kinds of concerns with a greater audience,、mm. what if I try, as a student, some other media as well, and try to figure out what would suit myself best and the subjects that I have an interest best? And I think when you have those kind of concerns, no matter how much of a talented painter you are, you、mm. may want to give this、uh, new challenge a try. For her, she went to a completely new school to do again her second master's and her PhD as well, 
And many years later, now she's a very, very well-established and praised artist for realizing those subject matters in such a wonderful uh, fashion. And please, for all the listeners out there, especially if you're into, into oriental painting, I hope you don't take this as some kind of criticism towards painting. I'm not saying right, that. Right, of course. Yeah. With your brushwork it- itself, you can still discuss these subject matters, but it's all about the relationship between these kind of issues and the individual artist. In the case of Imina, clearly what I'm thinking is that she realized I might want to try some other things as well, so I'm going to do that as a student. Many years later, here we are. It sounds very powerful tackling uh, important, difficult topics then, and especially perhaps timely now, considering Mm -hmm. what's going on in the world at the moment, in Israel and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So that makes me all the more curious about her current exhibition uh, at the Surim Cube. Can you tell us about that? Sure. The title of this exhibition is really, really catchy. It's The Lullaby of Bombing. Mm. Not Baby, The Lullaby of Bombing. Now, the venue is, as I said at the beginning of the segment, Surim Cube, a fantastic art space in a fantastic neighborhood, and that neighborhood would be the Tonhamun area of the Chonglugu district. Now, Tonhamun, once again, is the main gate of Changdeokgung Palace. A couple of things I must say about this area. Number one, if you don't pay a visit to Changdeokgung Palace during your stay in Korea, you are absolutely wrong, <laughs> uppercase letters. Okay, that's how fantastic this palace is. Sure. And number two, the Tonhamun area is packed with fantastic FND establishments. For example, of course, the Iksandong neighborhood, right? It's in this area, as well as the Sosunakil Street. Oh, and by the way, everybody knows Iksandong, right? Sosunakil, <laughs> in my opinion, is kind of sort of a hidden gem. You have to check out this place. Fantastic restaurants, cafes, and pubs. It's right. a wonderful place, all right? But this is all in this area, so enjoy the art and the FND as well. Uh, but coming back to the exhibition, it runs through January 13th. Uh, for, more infi- for more information, please visit surimcf.or.kr, or you can simply search Surim Cultural Foundation online. The orthography of Surim is S-O-O-R-I-M. And if we revisit the title of this exhibition, The Lullaby of Bombing. Now, again, very uncanny, ironic, and it may sound even paradoxical, especially according to the conventional discourse on giving birth to and raising an infant, right? Mm. However, if we take a look at the artist's statement on this most recent show of hers, while throughout her entire career, and she's a mother as well, by the way, but while throughout her entire career, career, she's been globally expanding her research on violence, her newest works are inspired by a highly individual experience, but is simultaneously embedded in a social, national, and global political context, the experience of childbirth and parenthood. And what I mean by this is if you think about the general discourse of giving birth to a child, like, Mm. for example, you see all those commercial films where there's that scene of your wife giving birth to your first child. You're all at the OBGYN clinic. You have the camcorder in your hand. (laughs) Maybe I I said the the word camcorder because I'm a little too old. (laughs) But anyway, so you're filming the situation. It's all, you know, lovely. You have lovely music coming out. I'm not saying that that's wrong. But what Imina is saying is, is that that's only one part of the story. 
Right. Right. Especially in an advanced society, a very competitive society, where you're trying to balance giving birth to a child and raising a child and your career as well and these kind of things, that social political context makes things just way much more challenging. It could be actually really, really, really difficult. Maybe that explains why so many OECD countries, of course, including Korea, having so much of a low fertility rate, Mm. right? So... Put all these things under consideration, especially in the global family month of December. I think that's why this time of year would be a beyond perfect time to appreciate this kind of art and think about it in just a little bit more profound fashion. Right. So the exhibition title, Lullaby of Bombing, that is indeed a very haunting title. It sounds like it is a very moving exhibition mm. indeed that will strike a chord with a lot of people. Uh, once again, the artist is Yi Min Ha and it's on view at the Surim Cube. And as ever, of course, we have photos from the exhibition taken by Joe himself on our socials as well, KBS underscore Crow24 for Instagram. Our listeners should check that out as well. That's where we're going to leave it for Explore Korea this week. Joe, thank you as ever for that. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Lovely. And that concludes our show for today. Join us again tomorrow as we continue to bring the latest updates and analysis from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. World Radio offers all you need to know on Korea through its various programs. Are you into the latest K-pop tracks? Then K-pop Connection is your fix. Brian Ju brings you the best of K-pop and K-culture. On Korea 24, host Kwon Jang-hoo helps listeners digest all the biggest stories coming out of South Korea. Keep up with what's happening on the peninsula by listening to Korea 24. Learn about Korean folktales on Mondays with global audiobook, Once Upon a Time in Korea. If you're a bookworm, don't miss Books on Demand, a program that introduces Korean literature to the global audience every Tuesday. Our Wednesday program, Korea Today and Tomorrow, provides news on the latest diplomatic developments in and around the Korean peninsula. Want to go deeper than K-pop? Sounds of Korea takes a closer look at various traditional music every Thursday. KBS World Radio is your go-to channel for all things Korea. Tune in. KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow in the case of a cold snap. Ensure to keep your home warm, especially if you have children, elderly family members or patients living with you. Those who have high blood pressure or weak heart conditions must warm up exposed parts of their bodies, especially their heads. If you experience extreme chills, fatigue, slurred speech, loss of memory or sense of direction, visit a hospital immediately as these are symptoms of hypothermia. 
If you experience numbness or paleness in your hands, feet, ears, nose or any tip of your body, this could be frostbite. Take a warm shower. If the symptoms persist, go to the hospital. If you plan on exercising, make sure you stretch sufficiently to avoid injuring your joints. If you plan on leaving your house empty for a long time, leave your taps running slightly to prevent the pipes from freezing. Please check our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures. KBS World Radio